Hello and welcome to On Point, a podcast series of fresh thinking on the big topics for corporates and institutions. I'm Arthur Krebers, Head of Sustainable Finance for Corporates at NatWest Markets. In today's special year-ahead edition of On Point, we're going to dive into the fast-evolving world of sustainable finance and discuss the top ESG investment trends that corporate finance decision-makers should look out for in 2021. Even before the coronavirus pandemic, corporate treasury teams were increasingly expected to be comfortable navigating a wide array of sustainability standards and growing investor requirements around ESG. To talk us through those evolving requirements and discuss key ESG investment trends gaining traction in 2021, I'm joined by three ESG investment experts. Those are Gil Comihan, Fixed Income ESG Analyst at Franklin Templeton, Marie Lassignor, ESG Fixed Income and Cross-Asset Credit Portfolio Manager at La Française. And finally, Fopion van der Meij, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager at Actium. Getting to the first topic, uh, clearly we've seen uh, an acceleration in, in sustainability-focused uh, reporting uh, and drives at, at product standardization. Uh, and, and arguably, some of the most uh, important within Europe have, have been the EU taxonomy uh, and indeed the green bond standards. Uh, and Fopi, I'm very keen in, to hear your perspective on how those uh, will be impacting uh, your work uh, as, as a fixed income investor. Um, yeah, I think that both are connected, of course, to the green bond standards are part also of EU taxonomy. Um, but if, if you split, the, split them, those, I think that the EU taxonomy is just is is uh, more impacting our the dating gathering. So, in the end, um, we have the obligation, uh, but also like every sustainable investor is now already doing, just um, just measuring how sustainable our investments are, and that means also data gathering. Uh, but what what we're lacking right now is I think a common common sense, a common common future. Uh, we expect that the EU uh, taxonomy will, will give us uh, that to all the investors, to all the asset managers, and, and that is very helpful. However, what we a bit worried about is that uh, it is now, um, we have already a very long time discussions about it, and it, uh, it, it becomes a little bit complex. And just for an asset manager like we, it is also good to have one template as to say so and also for the issuers i think it is important to know what the figures are they have to deliver too much is uh, not always uh, better as to say um the other one the the agreement standards i think it is also there good to have harmonization uh, to know what's green what social or what sustainability However, uh, we have already a lot of, 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 of frameworks in place. Uh, so I think the added value there is more that you have one, uh, uh, one, sta one standard and everybody is, 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 is uh, standing behind. It's clear, uh, but it's also important um, for, for regulation uh, going onwards. And just looking to ourselves, we already assess green bonds with our own methodology, uh, but uh, we expect that the, 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 the green bond standards will give more in-depth uh, criteria 
to to analyze that. Back to you, Arthur. Certainly, and and and, and Fabian, you you raise uh, I think an important point there around the taxonomy and, and concern that uh, you know what's vastly you know, becoming a, a quite dense document now can, can become you know, potentially quite quite complex and. And, and, and some people have argued it can become a little bit too too restrictive. And, and Maria, I would very much welcome your, your thoughts. Is, is there a risk that by, by trying to fight greenwashing, our, our standards are becoming too narrow and, and sort of risk impacting sort of market uh, market growth? Thank you, Arthur. Well, I think um, one point, one main concern, and that was actually um, quite represented in the uh, EU green bond consultation on the standard was about grandfathering uh, because you obviously don't want this standard to be uh, putting off the efforts that have already uh, been put in place with the, the last couple of years market growth and I think that's part of the question as well and here um, you know um, I think because the criteria and the, the levels are, are, are quite demanding, um, that the complexity of the overall document is, is definitely, um, you know, um, is definitely a concern for everyone. Uh, you need to make sure that the issuers that have already proactively built a green curve or sustainable, and they have already built their framework should have some kind of um, eligibility to uh, this new era, the new market that will come. Um, obviously, there is a line that needs to be drawn somewhere, but I think looking at the assets which are being financed behind those green bonds, like the ones that have been financed already, and the future ones under the framework, which you know are already existing, um, this the standard should allow some of this flexibility otherwise it will put off issuers which have already been quite active in this market and that's for the grandfathering part which is you know transferring the existing pool of the green bond market into the future green bond market which is a very important aspect as per uh, future issuance um yes we can say that the 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 expectations behind the taxonomy and the green bond standard are high, but they serve the purpose of uh, removing this kind of greenwashing fear in the market, and that you know needed to be addressed. But you know the taxonomy will not just have an impact on the green bond standard; it will also be the point of reference for sustainability-linked bonds, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. And uh, and here you've got a greater flexibility um, as a corporate. To because you know you will be able to focus not just on projects but also on your overall transformation. So I think um, the different applications that will uh, cascade from uh, the taxonomy being put in place will allow uh, everyone to find a way to to issue under this uh, new standards. Thank you, Arthur. That's helpful. Thank you, Marie. And I guess a common thread there, but both both in your point and indeed in, in Fabian's point is around this, this sort of merits there of having more of a more of a common language, right, from an investor point of view, and then when you're producing your own reports. And I, I guess Gil, if if you sort of fast forward in, in, in the next few years, we have the EU taxonomy fully embedded. Is is your sense that, that your own fund climate reporting uh, will, will be a lot easier and it will be a lot more aligned? Yes, I mean, I, I think it's difficult to imagine um, that it won't fulfill that function. We are already seeing benefits um, of using the technical index, I mean, and, and specifically um, referencing the kind of 
um, industry, you know, kind of the NACE mappings index at the back of the document where we get such a lot of certainty with regards to emissions for, um, uh, let's say, cement or, you know, required um, emissions level per kilowatt hours for, say, um, electricity producers. And, I mean, already we, we do a lot of engagement around um, carbon emissions and, you know, to, to have that level of certainty, it aids our discussion. And it and because we know that the, the research behind it has been put together very much with reference to um, Paris 2050 and, um, you know, the requirement for all of these different um, industries to bring down their emissions levels to, you know, what, what the index specifies. Um, you know, it really is just about technical certainty and, you know, everything that we've been discussing up until now on a theoretical basis and gearing up towards compliance 2050, you know, bringing, bringing down emissions, the, the technical index is a huge step forward for that. And it just gives a level of, um, yeah, I mean, a level of certainty really to, you know, benchmarking where a company is today and, you know, where, where their ambition for five years' time would put them. So I would say, yeah, I would definitely say it's hugely helpful with regards to climate impact and um, for us has already been so in, in conversations with companies around where their, um, where their current emissions levels are. You know, the cement manufacturers were, was a really good one. You know, we got back um, some responses to some recent engagement and emissions per cementitious product were all roughly around the same thing. And we could then compare that with the level that was cited in the technical index, which was roughly, I think, maybe about 40% or 45% lower. And that amount of information or that amount of research to get us sell ourselves there would have been probably time consuming to the point of probably not having, you know, having to outsource it. So yeah, we've leaned on it heavily thus far and I continue, I will I imagine that we'll continue to do so. And it will definitely, it, it has already started to shape our view on climate impact and, and where the companies we invest in are, should be going and are going. You mentioned there, Gail, um, the, 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 the I guess the, the key point there in terms of carbon-related uh, reporting and the climate change, and, and and while we've been discussing the European uh, frameworks, clearly a framework growing very rapidly in, in global prominence is is, is TCFD, uh, car, carbon financial disclosure. Um, I'd be interested, Marie, Marie, in your views. Clearly, the UK is set to make this make this mandatory. How do you think TCFD will will evolve uh, next year and, and thereafter? Sure. Um, well, the, let's uh, let's not forget that the TCFD origination story is very similar to what we had a couple of years ago with TLAC, which started being non-mandatory and became then a market norm. And and you actually with TCFD, this is from the very beginning, you know, what the optimists were hoping for, and and hopefully what is actually happening because there's no only you know regulators enforcing uh, TCFD as as being mandatory like in the UK to listed companies and private companies as well but there's also the fact that so far the, the latest progress report shows you that 60% of the 100 biggest corporation have supported or um, disclosed under the TCFD and what it means here is that there's 
there's going to be a, a capillarity effect because those biggest corporations will have levels of expectations of disclosure and measurement um, towards their suppliers and other stakeholders, which will raise the bar in, in smaller corporations. And that will have, I guess, a more natural also um, spread of you know, the TCFD as the standard, because the point here is to create a market uh, level playing understanding of how do we measure, how do we disclose, how do we discuss. Um, and it gives investors and corporates finally this kind of common language, common metrics to talk about climate risk and opportunities um, specifically to the sector that it's actually the company is actually um, uh, acting in, and um, and I truly believe. I mean, as an investor, a sustainable investor, I believe that actually going through the exercise for a corporate or any kind of company forces you to fully assess and understand what you know the risk you're actually facing uh, with the scenario analysis and the value at risk, etc. And maybe to structure yourself in a different manner in the way that you can better respond to the risks that are coming in the 5, 10 or 20 years. Uh, so that can only be beneficial and, and a value creation, um, a source of value creation. Thanks. Great. Uh, thank you, Marie. And I, I guess just, just get Gail for be honest, anything else that, that, that you'd like to comment on when it comes to the new wave of ESG reporting uh, coming our way. I think that I think the the biggest or the most obvious area is data. Um, this thing that is a universal struggle that you know whether you are trying to produce an impact report or whether you just simply trying to ask um, the issuer of a green bond for some impact updated impact metrics or. Um, you know, finding a common framework or a way to produce an impact report for a green bond fund, or knowing that even the impact metrics that you've reported are the same or done in the same or calculated in the same way that, um, you know, your peers are. I think there are a lot of questions out there with regards to data. And, and as soon as more companies are accessing a similar or the same thing many more times, you know, we get many more iterations of that data and, you know, by the process of natural improvement, I think, I hope, the optimist in me hopes that data will be the biggest winner in the next few years, because I think that's what we need. Yeah, from my side, Arthur, <clears throat> I think uh, one phrase, keep it simple. Uh, we don't want that issuers are stepping away from the sustainable bond market because it's too complex to deliver all the data. So. Uh, Let's focus on that. And reflecting perhaps a little bit on, on sectors and, and supply from different sectors. Um, Gail, I'd, I'd very much welcome your, your views on any particular corporate sectors you'd like to see uh, more supply from. Well, I suppose we always um, look at our green bond fund in light of, well, in comparison to a similar duration fixed income fund that isn't a green bond fund. And you know, we do have differences in um, the amount in the sectors that we invest in. In our green bond fund, I think we've got maybe about 40% um, sovereigns and then 20% utilities and 20% financials. And it would be great to see that diversified, you know, to the point of, of where our other fixed income funds are. Um, and we, we do get the question a lot from clients. And, you know, it's it's the natural 
it's a natural question. It's a any sectors beyond you know the the bulk of where we've seen issuance come from to date, and these are probably the uh, well the sectors that are not seen as industrials and um, maybe do have slightly less to decarbonize, but are still important nonetheless. Um, and then obviously the the more materials heavy sectors. Um, I think we've we've seen a bit of activity from Lafarge recently, and you know more more from that kind of um, more from that corner would be lovely. I think um, you know anything that would allow us to to kind of have the the same sector allocation as a, a regular fixed income fund when we look at when we're comparing to the benchmark. Great, but um, Marie, for beyond um, anything to add there in terms of uh, shout outs for for sectors or types of issuers you'd like to see uh, more of. Well, I'll, I would tend to um, to second what Gail just said uh, with regards to expected supply from um, those, you know, higher emission types of sectors, and and we know the ones, right? The ones that haven't been participating in that in that um, area for a while, but you know, issuers that have already started their transition journey and communicate. You know, communicate about the sustainability strategy and have started, you know, um, uh, investing in projects and activities which, you know, are a testament of their willingness to achieve those sustainable goals. Um, I think they are definitely eligible now under this format. Uh, they're supported by um, the wider market with the ECB eligibility. And um, I think to the same extent that the transition bonds concept was trying to address this, uh, we, we really need them. We need them to come to this market to make sure that the overall there's a, an overall representation of our economy as investors, uh, as Gail said, to, to, to match, uh, to match uh, either benchmark objectives or, or really to match the reality of things. Um, and we, as us as investors, we would really welcome more of this deep, deeper industrial issuance that needs to, to transform. Fabian, from your perspective? Yeah, I, I about agree with 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 uh, with Gil and Marie on that. Um, what I like seeing from a portfolio perspective, yeah, of course, more diversification would be would be useful. Still, uh, green bonds are just dominated by financials and uh, utilities on the uh, on the corporate side. However, uh, we have to be critical in what type of typical issues are there. Um, the whole oil and gas um, uh, uh, change movement is is there several several issuers are uh, eligible now I think also for the green market on, uh, because of that um, but um, we, we definitely are not um, looking for for every sector to come to the market. Um, uh, because of diversification purposes, you have it has to fit, and I think um, that that we have seen in the past some uh, some uh, less good examples, as to say. Uh, so yeah, the credibility of the green bond market is still 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 important, and uh, we 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 prefer to 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 see the uh, the better uh, example, the, the good examples, for example, and then. And maybe even less than uh, more issues coming to mark with, 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 with question marks. I hope you've enjoyed this special year ahead edition of On Point. 
please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.